Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday, midday. Just finished a lot of work uh, with college and other business. And now let me devote myself to the Haftorah this week, which is Parsha Shkom, as we know. Uh, first of all, uh, I do want to mention two things. Number one, we just finished yesterday was a, a good friend of ours, uh, Shaftel Neuberger, passed away. That was a big tragedy for the city. Someone I've known, who's known me, I maybe I should put it that way, since I'm a kid. So, real peace over the past. Uh, but today's podcast is being uh, sponsored by Morris Freeman, the Freeman family. This week happens to be the first yard site. It's amazing. Of their father, Norm Freeman, who, as I described, was an extraordinary, ordinary man. Uh, I had the honor of being at the funeral, saying a few words last year. Mamish a year ago. I remember this very distinctly because he's the last guy who died and had a regular funeral at a regular ship house just before the corona hit us. You understand? Matter of fact, some of the people of Eva Weisport and others who were there at the ship house, the whole Baltimore came, uh, are no longer here fallen victims to this terrible disease. Uh, this is it is the father of Kenny and Ira and uh, Morris. And uh, a person was a very fine person. I'm not sure everybody out of town understands these types. We have in Baltimore a certain element that they didn't go to day school, they didn't go to yeshiva from, you know, years ago. They, they just wanted to be Shemesh Shabbos. And it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, Sam? He just had it in him. Both parents came from good families. And uh, Norm built up, you know, a, a very nice mishpacha. And Morris told me he was going to say a few words. You know, they say, hello is Mechaev the uh, the poor. And who is it? Reptarfin is Mechaev the rich. Um... I don't want to indulge in hyperbole, but uh, uh, let's put it this way. Norm Freeman is Mechai of all those who were born in regular families in Baltimore, but didn't choose the path that he did, which was to build a bias and be Again, there's no yeshiva education and all that stuff. He just felt he totally wants to do the right thing and wants to see the kids going the right derech. And um, these are the people who have something to show for their lives. These are the people that sound so alive. There are a lot of contemporaries out there. Don't I know it? And Morris knows it also. And Kennedy and the others. They made different choices in life. And their families are in different places. Uh, anyway, pay tribute to the memory. A very uh, fine person. And I'll tell you, he had this zechus. You look back now. Sounds funny, but I don't mean to be funny. To die at the right moment. To have a regular funeral before all the restrictions kicked in. To have a regular shiva house. People could express how much they thought of him. And then, like a week later, Mamish came to the corona. It's amazing. I had that in my family. My mother's mother died like a week or two before the Germans showed up. So she had a funeral, and she had a, a shiva, this and that, and the other went all over. Then the bad stuff happened. It's it's just interesting, you know. Uh, now, with any further ado, but I do thank the Freeman family for the sponsorship. Uh, now, with any further ado, Let's take a look at this very complicated 
and interesting Haftorah. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. This is a Parshish Golem. I'm sure this isn't the first time you ever looked at it. This is the story of Yoash and how he did the repair in the temple. Now, at the surface level, we're dealing just with a story from the Bible, which goes like, excuse me, which is a story you have to know to talk, know a little bit to know about. And that is that it was the kingdom of Judah, you know, the kingdom that already broken into two halves. They had their share of wicked kings. One of the queens, Asalia, who was the daughter of Achab and Jezebel, had married one of the Judahite kings. Who knows what she did, but by the time it's over, she murdered the whole royal family. One baby escaped the massacre, like a Snow White situation. And that was Yoash, who was spirited away as a baby. It was hidden in the base of Migdash in the Kodesh Kodoshan. That means he lived like Anne Frank, you know what I'm saying? But worse, nobody to talked to until he was six years old. Then there was a counter coup, and the wicked queen was killed, and the Davidic house was saved. And the high priest, Yoyola, was an old man who, who was the one who rescued the baby, became the prime minister, which was a good thing. And uh, things went back to Yiddishkeit, away from the Baal worship, because the wicked queen, being the daughter of Achim and Jezebel, naturally brought in the Baal worship. Now, in the course of that, so then this guy, Yoash, becomes the king. The very short version of the story, I don't know how to tell the version of the story. Listen closely to what I'm about to say. When you read the Tanakh, including this week's Haftarah, is an excellent example. So, you have two books that cover the same period. Uh, Malachim, Divrayon, the Book of Kings, and the Book of Chronicles. Right? Now, if you're serious in this stuff, then you'll know that these two books cover what we call Bayes uh, Rishon. Several hundred years, Bayes Rishon. That is the period when the kingdom split after Shlomo died, and he had the north and the south, the king of Israel on the one hand, and the king of Yehud on the other hand. If you know what's flying, you'll know that the book of Kings is primarily about the kings of the north, and the book of Chronicles is primarily about the kings of the south. There's a little bit of overlap, but mainly that's there. Now, when you're studying the Malchis or the kings of the north, all you need is the book of Malachim. Because you're not going to find a lot the Book of Chronicles about the kings of the north. There's some. If you want to get very petty, you know, <coughs> you like the conciliator. In this case, he killed 64,000 men. In the other place, he killed 65,000 men. You know, you have to worry about all that. Now, uh, if you want the unfortunate looking conciliator. But, by contrast, when you study the kings of the south, kings of Yehuda, it is necessary to read both books. I teach this stuff. It's necessary to read both books. You do not really know what's flying if you don't read both books, right? Because the Book of Malachim sometimes tells some stuff about the kings of the south, but almost always there's different and supplementary information uh, in the Book of Chronicles. So if you want to tell me about one of the Malachi Yehuda, the Shafat, also, I don't know, you know, the Horam, whoever you want to talk it's necessary to read both books. If you don't, you're missing, okay? Sometimes you're missing important information. It's a fascinating. It's necessary to do that. Sometimes the accounts agree. Often, there are differences. When I say differences, not merely supplementary information, but sometimes contradictory information. Okay. Now, if you're really, really into this, you have to do some homework. The easy cheating way is just get the art scroll, Dibri Yomim, which Rabbi Eisman from near Israel did. And I didn't read it, but I'm sure he, I know, I know he deals with that kind of stuff. 
What do you do with the fact that Divriyom says this? Book of Lachim says that. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this. I just want to make this point. And the reason I want to make this point is, Pasha Shkolim. He said, what are you talking about? It is, we have a policy that all the Haftorahs are from the Nevi'im and not from the Ksuvim. So, if you're ever going to deal with anything from Bayesheni, Bayesheni, I'm sorry, it'll be from Nevi'im. You know, Melochim, Nevi'im Rishon, Nevi'im Machronim, you know what I mean, Shai Yom Yecheskel, Triyasar, and so forth. It may be that it's important supplementary information or even contradictory information in Divrayaman. But you'll never know that if you simply stick to what we read in Shul on the Haftorah. Because all the, as a matter of policy, all they read is from the uh, Nevi'im. So, in our case, a good example, when you do the story about Yehoyot fixing up the temple, uh, all you have is what it says in the Book of Melachim. Well, actually, it's very important, extra information, the Book of Divriyom. And if you want to know this Pasha, you got to look in both. So I'm telling you, the listener, if you're serious about this, and you'll be in Shul, the Shabbos, you want to do this right, and you have the opportunity, make it your business to get a hold of two books. One will be what we're going to read from, which is the Book of Kings, uh, chapter 12. And the other one is the book that you'll have to read to supplement. That'll be in Chronicles 2, chapter 24. So 12 and 1 and 24 in the other. They both tell the story of how Yoyota presided over the uh, repair to Basin Middash. But you got to see them both. Now, for example, uh, think, listen closely to what I'm about to say. We have Parshish Kalim. If you want to be literal, what it says in the Chumash is that Hashem told Moshe, Kisisas, Rosh B'nai Israel, when you count them up, everybody should give Kofor Nafsho. There's a one-time deal. In the base of Migdash, I'm sorry, in the desert, God tells Moshe, we're going to have Karbonah soon, uh, hit everybody up for a Machsa Shekel, Hadal lo Yamid, Vashar lo Yarbe, everybody should give the same, and Lechaper al Nafsho Sechem, Shine. So that means they did it once, and Dosi Dos. It doesn't say that this is a permanent mitzvah. Doesn't say it. Okay? And yet, you'll see the Monia mitzvahs and those guys, you know, the Chinuch and so forth. They say, oh, Machzah Shekel is one of the target mitzvahs. That's one of the reasons why you and I give Machzah Shekel ceremoniously. You know what I mean? As a as a shtick or an airport, don't we? Um, you know, in Shul with the, with the, with the uh, you, you know what I mean. Now, where does it say that? If you look in our Haftar, don't say it. In fact, it doesn't actually say, I believe, that this is about collecting Masa Shekel. Instead, it's talking about the problems they had, which are fascinating, about raising money for this project. As I said, Rabbi Neuberger died yesterday, Shefton Neuberger. He would have what to say on this question about how do you raise money for a base of Middash. You know There's all kinds of problems over there. And what it says is, very briefly, this is in the Book of Kings, and what we're going to read in the Haftorah, that Vayomer Yosh al-Kohanin Kol Kesev HaKotshem HaShayyuv Beis HaShem Kesev Oiver Kesev Nafshah Zerko All the money that comes in Beis HaMikdash that ends up in your hands, you Kohanim Kol Kesev HaShayyuv Beis HaShem Yikul Echem HaKohanim Meis Kol Makarov Every Kohan should take it from his friend In other words, I'm a Kohan, me I have friends Believe it or not. And if they come to the base of Migdash, 
He's bring some money, give it to me. I'll take care of it. And this client should take that money for the purpose of fixing up the temple structure. Wait a minute, I thought you were talking about carbonus. Let's try better bias. Okay? Moreover, a long time they didn't do it. Michel mentioned 123 years of his kingdom. Now he was six when he became king. They didn't do it. Now you could read that a lot of different ways. And various Mepharshim, both in the Mikra Skidolos and elsewhere, read it a lot of different ways. You could say they pocketed the money. You could say they didn't spend the money in Bedekabais, they spent on Carbonus. You could say a lot of things. They're not clear. And why does he have to fix up the Bedekabais? So you might say, listen, the place ran into pot. Why did it run into pot? It didn't run into pot under, uh, you know, the early kings. Who was it? Rechavam and Avia and Osa and Yehoshua and Yehoram, who wasn't from, and Chazia uh, and so forth. How come now they're starting a, a project to, fit, to fix up the Bedek Abayis? Right? And the king is a little bit frustrated. How come you didn't do what I told you to do? Which is fix up the plant. This in general is a good question. You're operating the base of Migdush. The place is falling apart. There are holes. The walls are broken. You know, things happen in the building. The base of Migdush is many things. One of the things is it's a plant. It's a building. And it has to be a better bias. You know, to fix the plant. Well, Don't take the money from your friends. Give it for the better bias. It's pretty clear. I think Radak suggested. The king at least said, I know you're pocketing the money. I'm not saying that's what happened. Because Radak said it's not what happened. But he said the king suspected of that. So basically, if I'm calling you to raise money and go ahead of all your uh, friends for near Israel, and then by the time he comes back, no money ended up in near Israel, what does that suggest? What happened to all the money? What happened to all the money you raised? And remember, there were no checks in those days, so it was a cash. So what happened to all the cash? You see? Don't take money from your friends. Better go buy a seat new. Don't keep it, but instead... Give it for the Bedekabais fund, for the plant fund. Now, if you read the other book, right? Uh, what does it have to do with with um, with Parsha Shkol, with uh, the Machzah Shekel? If you read the other book, then it's very interesting. It says, I'm talking about Chronicles, where it goes into greater detail. Once Yahweh grew up, he got the idea to fix up the plant, the base of Migdash. So he gathered everybody together. He puts it in different terms. He says, go around in the public. I want you guys to start a campaign for Bedek Abayas. Go out in, in, in the countryside. And tomorrow of Dover, and hurry up and do it, and they didn't. That the king calls the head priest, and listen very closely to this puzzle in chapter 24, verse 6. Why did you not demand of the levies to bring to the base of Mish, to Judah and Jerusalem, the Masas Moshe Ebed Hashem, the Masas Shekel, the tax of Moses, the servant of the Lord? Here we see the Machsah Shekel was a permanent institution. That's where you get, it's a basis for saying it's, it's, a, it's a Mitzvah Lodorus. You know what I'm saying? 
Even at the time now, they had a thing called the annual. Look at the language. Lahavi lemihudi shalim es masas Moshe from the word masaos, you know, uh, uh, fundraising, like masas binyamin, you know, masas Moshe Eved Hashem va'akol Yisrael. Why don't you take the money of the masas shekel and use it for the building fund? Why do you need a building fund, a plant fund? And then he goes on to tell you like this. I told you I had a wicked queen, but all it says in the book of Kings is that the wicked queen killed out her own family, um, which sounds like she killed all of her children. Right? Except this one baby to survive. It's not true. She killed some, but the non from ones who sided with her in the war against Judaism uh, cooperated with her to bring in the Baal and destroy Judaism. Whoa! Where do you get that? Listen to the next puzzle. Ki Shas. This wicked woman, Asalya, she is famous for getting this name Mir Shas. In modern Hebrew, even in rabbinic Hebrew, you call somebody a very wicked woman. I'll use polite terms. <laughs> so, uh, call her Mirshas. She's the embodiment of evil. But that's a term we use in general. Who is it said for in the biblical text? I believe this is the only place in Tanakh where it says this term. This wicked Asalia, Boneho Parzuiz Beis Elohim. Her children broke through the house of God, meaning they tore holes in the wall like the Greeks did later on. But Gam called Kochi Beis Hashem Baalim. And everything valuable on the base of Mises, they took over and put it for Baal worship. So she did more than just murder her family. Actually, I said it wrong. She didn't. It turns out she didn't kill all of her descendants. She had some children that she left alive. So we have to modify the usual understanding of the story, which many Chazals are based on. Now we say this wicked queen killed everybody. There's even a famous matter that I quote all the time from the end of uh, Rus, where it says that why was the egg of David which sounds like she killed everybody except this one baby. Turns out not exactly. She had kids who were Jewish. Now I have to be careful. This is very complicated what I'm saying. Was she Jewish? She was the daughter of Achav and Jezebel. Let's think about this. Acha was the king of Israel, and he married a foreign princess, a Lebanese princess. Her father was Esbal, the king of Tyre. Acha was anti-from. At least it seems that way. It says, the sins of Yerub and Avot were nothing for him. He wanted to outdo them. And Acha married this Shiksa princess, while his father, Omri, excuse me, was king. Am I to understand? Listen to what I'm telling you. Am I to understand that Achav, who was idol worshiper deluxe, uh, married a Shiksa princess and converted her to Judaism, uh, even though he didn't practice anything in Judaism. Wait a minute, the consequences of that are humongous. If she did not convert to Judaism, which is the way you normally understand it, she was born in Shiksa, she made in Shiksa, if anything, she converted her husband to paganism, if you follow, at least Ashkafa-wise. As is clear from many stories of Book of Malachim. If she's not Jewish, we got a problem. Because it was her descendants that became the house of David. Her daughter married the king of Judah. And the guy we're talking about today, uh, Yoash, is like the grandson. And all the later kings of Yehuda come from him. 
that would mean the Mashiach is not Jewish. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, um, uh, she was not Jewish, and her daughter married uh, Yehoram, the king of Yehuda. So their kids are not Jewish, right? Um, but you could wait a minute. I'm not finished. Uh, their son was a Chazi who was killed by Yehu. He was bumped off, but his son was this Yoash. Now the only way around that is to say like this: from the paternal side, they're not Jewish. From the maternal side, we're Jewish. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So in other words, this King Yoash, his mother was Jewish. That makes him Jewish. His father, if you want to be very technical about it, wasn't halachically Jewish. It's a weird period in Jewish history. And this uh, princess who married Yehoram, uh, the mother of Salia, the wicked queen, the time she married him, she wasn't Jewish. Unless you argue, see, we're all in speculative territory over here, that since Yehoram was the son of Yehoshaphat, and Yeshua was a frummy, he was, so he must have made sure that when his son is marrying the daughter of Achav and Jezebel, she has what you call orthodox conversion, <laughs> right? Orthodox conversion. Uh, it's weird. Very weird. So let's say, for, out of one of the, or the other of these considerations, there are here in today's parsha, Yoash, Melchior, there was a lot to talk about, but it'll take hours, was Jewish. Uh, and that's why he's worried about the base of Migdash, the building it up. But this Yoash had uncles, I guess? Asalia Mershaz Boneho, parts of his base Elohim. And these uncles and other members of the royal family, whatever their halachic status was, um, identified with paganism. And when the mother took over, all the from members of the Davidic family were killed by her in this plot, except that baby who survived. And she and her children ruled the country and brought in the Baal worship exactly as Jezebel did in the kingdom of the north. And it's not simply that they closed down the base of Mish, which was what it said in the other book, but parts of his base all came, they busted it up, they destroyed it, and they stripped it of anything valuable to use in the other temple that they set up for Baal. Because in the other book, and here also, I think, when she was overthrown by a plot, by a coup, right? So um, it says, let me see, does it say it over here? Uh, no. But I know it says in the Book of Kings. Bear with me for a second. This is quite a story. It says that uh, she was ruling, and uh, then there was a plot against her, a front, let's call it a front plot, right? And uh, they got rid of her, and you notice they killed her, and uh, da -da 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 -da. and I remember they killed, yeah, here it goes. This is in, in uh, chapter 11 of Book of Mochim. Notice once they put the legitimate six-year-old king on the throne, they launched a purge of the queen's supporters. This old man, the Kohen Gadol, who was a, a tzaddik, he renewed, he renewed the Davidic uh, dynasty as kings. And they had a, an election and everything. And as part of this purge, a mob, a from mob, went to the other base of Migdash that she had set up in Jerusalem. 
It's mizbechos of atzlam. And they went to work on it, destroyed the whole place. Right? By Yitzu, they tore down. It's mizbechos of, it's tzlamov. Right? They knocked down the altars of Baal in this alternate base of Migdash. And they destroyed and shattered all the idols. This matan coin about Harglofi Mizbachos. And they killed, they shechted the high priest of the Baal, whose name was Matan. That's why I've never really understood. I have friends with the name Matan. I'm not sure why they picked that name. And they restored the base of Mish. Let's put it that way. So we're in tumultuous times. Okay? So this queen had messed over the base of Megdash, as we see over here. And that's why it needed a better advice. And that's why the King Yoyot is saying, let's do something about it. But why did it take 20 years? And uh, again, if you go to the book of Dvarim, um, Dvarim, sorry, which tells you the story better in more detail, it's, And it's, everybody should bring the contribution of Moses, the servant of the Lord, on the desert. What you and I call Machsa Shekel. Okay? And they started to do so. Now, in our version, uh, what we read in the Haftorah, in the Book of Kings, is very interesting because the whole thing's interesting if you look at it. You know, if you look at it. And what happens is that, as I said before, the money didn't come in. And so, I'm not saying anybody stole it, but I'm not saying they didn't. The different Mepharshim, those all tried to put a positive spin on it. You know, they used it for other carbonos or things like that. But bottom line is it smells. So what they decided to do was put a big pushka, maybe two. To read in English, what they do was, it says, the Kohanim agreed not to take the money from the people without making the repairs on the temple. The Oyota, the priest, took a pushka, a chest, and he put a hole in the lid, and he put it on the right side of the altar as one entered the God's temple. So from now on, you don't give money to your local coin, as we would say in America today. You don't give money to the Mashallah. Because you don't know what the Mashal is doing with it. You go to the Shul, or the Yeshiva, where there's a pushka over there, and the, the Kohanim guarding the threshold deposited all the, the, the silver brought to the temple there. Which means, then the money went directly into a pushka, which was under total supervision. Okay? And once it reached a certain point, you said then they would, uh, you know, uh, collect the money. You know what I mean? Like a Gabay Tzedakah does. And uh, then they would uh, use that money for the better goodbyes, for the fun. Uh, that's that, that that's what it says they did in our part. Kirosam, Kirava When they saw the pushkos fill, to each guy came. Let's say you're bringing a carbonola. The next guy's bringing a carbonchatas. The third guy's bringing a carbon toda. While you're there, you know it's like a little sign, better goodbyes fund, like you see in in shuls. And the guy said, "Guess I'm bringing a carbon toda, but you want to know something? I'll put in a buck." Or whatever, for the for the fun. If you have a lot of people coming to base of Migdash, then uh, it'll add up. Vayikarosim kirava kesebarim vayal sofer amelch vakoin agado. So the coin gado and the royal secretary of the treasury came and they registered the money. And then it was given to the chairman of the building fund of the repair fund, the Bedeka Baisman, that cash. And that guy then gave it to the contractors. The people who did the wood uh, construction stuff for the temple building and the other builders. 
they mamas gave it to the construction guy, to the Italians. You know what I'm saying? They gave it for the actual contractors. And um, the idea was like this. Use this money on the plant. Because it says before, the wicked queen had messed the building up. Parts of his base, country base, island. And so basically, we got two problems. Number one, the, the building has to be repaired, the holes. Who knows what they did? They scratched the geisha stuff in the walls. Fair vase. I'm describing a certain type of Hanukkah. Not in the dramatic sense of the holiday of Hanukkah, the Maccabees. They're not in the dramatic sense of Chizkiyahu, uh, but in a less dramatic, but nevertheless real sense, in which this Parsha Shkolem, they're taking the shekels over here and using it not for the Carbonus, but for the uh, Bedekabais, because the place was falling apart, the planet run down. Okay? And uh, therefore it says that they used the money exclusively for the building fund and not to replace the missing Kalim, because you can be sure it says that the sons of uh, the bad team, Asali, the wicked queen, it says they took all the goodies and gave it to the alternative temple for the Baal. Well, they don't want to use that anymore. Once they use for Abedah Zara, and so now you had to make new Kalim for the base of Mish. Cups, forks, spoons, bowls, you know, and all that business, right? Now, there's a famous contradiction between the two accounts that Gamar goes into. I don't want to go into it very much. Marang Subis. In one place, it says that they use it strictly for the building fund and not for the um, Kalim. In our Haftar, it says, You know what I mean? It wasn't used to, to, for, um, uh, what's the right word to use over here? For cutlery, shall I use that word? Uh, something like that, right? It was used strictly for the building fund. Literally on the plant. They gave it to the builders, right? Like I said, they gave it to the Italians. And they worked on the, on the building itself. And what's really interesting is, uh, well, before I go to that, in by contrast, in Divrei Yomim, and you have no choice. If you take this off to a seriously, you got to look at both sources. It says that they had leftovers. They had, uh, they were oversubscribed for the building fund. So just, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's just assume it costs two and a half million bucks to, to do the repair work on the temple plant. The building, the rooms, the floors, whatever. So they raised, let's say, three million, four million. What do you do with the extra million? That they used for the cutlery. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and when they oversubscribed that, they used it for carbonolas every day. So. There are these different accounts over there. Like I said, the Gemara deals with this in greater detail. Now I'm going to call your attention to something very, very interesting. I regard very interesting. Uh, and this has to do with honesty. When they raised this money, they gave it, like I say, to contractors. And it ran like one of these Baltimore City contracts. There was no accounting process. He gave the guy, he says, I need a half a million to do this. They gave him half a million. I maybe he's lying. It's only a quarter million. He pockets the rest of the money. They didn't trust. Him. It says in our Torah, they didn't demand an account when they gave the cash out to the contractors. They didn't trust. Right? They didn't trust. 
that's just very interesting. The base of Migdash was built on aristocratical style. Shlomo Melch built it. Later kings did it. The aristocrats run in a certain way. You give the money to the king, and then you shut up. Don't ask the question what the king does with it. Because he's the king, and he's the boss, and you're just the, the small fry. That is one way to run an operation. Frankly, from being a rabbi, it's the same thing. I'm in charge of the tzedakah on my shoulder. Either you trust me or you don't trust me. Like that. And if you do, you don't say how you spend the money here or the other. They're saying, we know he gives it out here, he gives it out there in, in, in the right way. That's the aristocratical principle. And that's the Haftorah we read this week in Parsha Shkola. What's going to be really fa- fantastic is, let's compare and contrast this story with Moshe Rabbeinu in the Chumash. There wasn't run on aristocratical principle. Moshe could have done that. It's not who he was. That's the difference between a Moshe Rabbeinu and a king. As we all know, Moshe Rabbeinu raised the money, a fortune, and then he gave an accounting of every penny, or most of it anyway, right? That's called Pasha Pakude. And the reason is, people want to know how the money was spent. And Moshe was plagued for the rest of his life because people say he, he embezzled money along the way. Now, truth of the matter is like this. Shut up. This guy got you out of slavery. He got you out of Egypt. He crossed the Red Sea. He got Ten Commandments. He saved your rear end from the golden calf. And so and so were, what do you get? That's not Jews. That's a, eh, It's a famous chazal. The people were keeping accounts. And when they said there was some discrepancy, Moshe had to, to defend the discrepancy. And it so happens, me, myself, and I, uh, was looking at the Gemara the other day. You know, I have two, uh, Seems to do every year for my father and for my mother. My father was last month when I did Yavamas. I did a, a, a Hadron on that. It's actually online if anybody's interested. I wouldn't bore people that uh, just loved us. If you're really interested, I have I made a video of it. Uh, you'd write to me. But that's Yavamas. So now I got my mother coming up in July, I guess. Second day of Thomas. My mother had the same yard with the Lubavitch Rebbe. Anyway, so I got to do something for that. So don't ask me why. I just picked to do Yushami and Sanhedrin. It just occurred to me. And so I just saw the other day, the whole passage in the first parak, Yushami and Sanhedrin, where somebody went to Rabbi Yochanan, I think it was a, a, a Roman, and he said, I did the numbers, and Moshe Benin was a kind of, <laughs> right? And they had a whole discussion back and forth, which was hard for me to follow, because he said the money changed, and a, a nickel then was not the same thing a nickel later, that sort of business. But that's how minutely they look at it. Is. The other model is what we have in our Haftorah. Kibbe Muno is saying, I give you the money and I shut up, I don't ask no questions. I trust you. It's a different system. Now, how could people make charge Moshe Rabbeinu with cheating? Isaiah Gaitis, when you do a, pop, a popular project and they ask everybody to contribute, all of a sudden everybody feels like a boss. Even though you actually gave, you know, 10 bucks, feel like a boss. And Jews being Jews, and they were stuck in the desert with nothing to do under the clouds. You talk about Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, what was the hawk in the shul or whatever they had in the desert <laughs> after the Mishkan was built? What was the hawk? Forty years they're in the desert. The older generation is going to die out. What do they do? You know, now some people are sitting and learning. <laughs> but you know what I know. Even in the desert, some people are not sitting and learning. What are they hawking about as they're eating their mun? Moshe stole this. Moshe stole that. This is what Chazal tells us. And indeed, when he came down from the 
from the mountain were carrying the tent, the tablets. People say, oh, he, he doesn't look so skinny for a guy who faced the 40 days and 40 That's a medrash, right? 40 days and 40 nights. He's stealing money on the side. And uh, Moshe was very bothered by this. Now, if you're thick-skinned, you say, heck with the Jews. I was honest. God knows the truth. If you're Moshe, maybe you have a conscience. It bothers you. You know, people care about their reputation. Now, Moshe would have had a great line. And he could have said like this. If you think I'm stealing the money, then why did I do something that was <laughs> the antithesis of Shefter Luberger, Rabbi, his father, and anybody else that raised money for Yeshiva? What am I talking about? The only time you ever hear this. Hamlocha hoysa dayam vayavira kobamachana ayidnuot. You know, Parsha Bayako is going to say the oversubscribed the money. Whereupon Moshe said like this, don't give any more money. That's the last time this was ever said in Jewish history. Right? That's the last time it was ever said in Jewish history. Now, if Moshe was a crook, he would have said like this, keep the money coming. That's what you do. You need two and a half million, but I don't know what to do with the extra million or two. Get to Ganesa. Then people, the fact that Moshe said, unlike in our Parsha today, the fact that Moshe said, Stop giving. That's like the best proof that the guy was honest. It doesn't mean anything to the Jews. That's who we are. <laughs> That's who we are. So we conclude by saying that if you want to know what happened in the time of Yehoyado, uh, you got to look at both parts, Book of Lachem, Book of Deryama. There are some discrepancies, but they also supplement each other. And you see, as long ago as 3,000 years ago, or close to it anyway, we had the problems of Bedeka bias. We had the problems of Carbonus. We had the problems of how to divide the money. And we also had the, the problems of how much trust you give to public officials. Now, I want you to know, this Pusik that I just quoted you, that's a famous halachi principle. It's in the Shulchan, it's in the Ram of Shulchan. Look at this. If you're interested in what I'm saying, open up the Yoridea, the Hilchus Siddhaka, Zion, chapter 257, part 2. Based on Zion base. This is Shulchan Aruch. And I'll get to the part that counts. Which is... Uh, you don't hit up the Gabi Tzedakah and say, show us exactly how you spend the money. And you're doing Hegdash doesn't operate that way either. No, when they did by Shane and all that, they have guys who are in charge and you trust them, or fire them. Shenemar, and the Shulchan, this is all the Shulchan Aruch. Shenemar, v'lo yichashu v'sanoshin, asheyidnu sakesa v'yodam, v'asis osem locha, ki b'amunah isim. They're quoting from today's Haftar. That they didn't go to the contractors, and they say, tell us exactly how you spent the money. Now, <laughs> I've got news for you. I live in Baltimore, you live wherever you do. This is how they cheat all the time. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. On these government contracts, when I was younger, Ronald Reagan was there. He made a commission they found to pay, charge 600 bucks for a toilet seat. a famous thing in American history, the Grace Commission. Uh, people take advantage of stuff. That's not how he chose to operate. The Shonokhan Aruch says that from this passage you learn, uh, it's in Martin's uh, in Belvastra, this morning you learn, if you you got a show, you got an organization, you appoint somebody to Gabi and either you trust them or you don't trust them. So don't pick somebody that's not trustworthy. And the quote the puzzle we have, but this goes two against the grain. So the Ramah right here says, 
When we call Mokum, Kadeshu Nikim, Hashem Yisrael, Tobel Hemlos is Cheshbon. Really, Moshe Rabbeinu set the gold standard. And you should be like them. In order for Yisam Nikim, Hashem Yisrael, the Kabbat Tzedakah should give an account. Right? That's pointing from the tour. And then the, the Ramah goes on to say, V'chol zeh b'gaboyim ha'kshemim. Abel mishen ha'kosher, ha'shen esmarim ba'almos v'azokam, ha'chazokam, tzarech litin ha'cheshmen. It depends who the, the Mesholch is. You know It depends who the Mesholch is. If the Pana Rishon Rabbah is coming to your door, okay. <laughs> okay. So then you don't ask him for a cheshmen. If you have one of these other guys that says, I'm collecting for mir, <laughs> and you don't know whether he means a mir yeshiv or for mir, for me, myself, and I, and when these people are looking at the at the face, there's already like in Yiddish they say, for having such a face, <laughs> you should spend five years, five years in jail as a crook. Then you want to see how they spend the money. Then you should. Uh, I just read you from the Shulchan right? You want to see how they spend the money. Now the problem is, in the biblical times, they treated Moshe Rabbeinu as somebody they didn't trust. That's a terrible thing. If there ever was an honest person, it was Moshe Rabbeinu, right? The kings you could tie to. Kings are kings. They weren't so honest. But we have an inverted situation. When the kings ran the show, they just gave it up to the contractors and asked no questions. So who knows how much of money was spent properly and not. Now, that's a wonderfully vague pusik. We could read it in two ways. Hebrew admits of two translations. means they trusted him. Right? They, they didn't ask for an account because they operate with them on a Muna principle, like we would say today, honor principle. Okay? Alternatively, you could read it from her. That they operated with uh, trustworthiness. Notice they knew that the contractors are Emuna people, honest people. That's a from her shot. Some of them are like that for obvious reasons. But. Since we're dealing with questions of raising money and all the rest of it, the world is divided into two types. What can I tell you? Um, I'll close by saying that uh, you're in luckier hands when you deal with honest people. Uh, the person whose yard site we're uh, commemorating today, Norm Freeman, was a Bamuna Hemosin people. That's what the kids are proud of. He was a person that operated both ways. You know, he was honest, but he also faithfully. Uh, you can't say it about too many people, but once again, we hope the Nisham will have an Aliyah. And with that, I wish, wish you a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.